0: title of my sermon is look to jesus the big idea the message of the cross is the spirit's means of bringing about the new birth again the message of the cross is the holy spirit's means of bringing about the new birth therefore what preach it boldly preach it boldly do you wish to see the lost saved Do you wish to see those who are spiritually dead given new life? Preach the cross. Preach the cross. Time Magazine, I'm not a subscriber, um, but I did come across this recently. Time Magazine asked uh, a number of people how they pictured God. You're like, oh boy, here we go. What what did the world say? Um, Here's an example. Here was one response that uh, Time wrote down. God is a lot like he was explained to us as children as an older man who is just and who gets angry at us. I know this isn't the true picture, but it's the only one I've got. The author goes on to say, this response is pretty common, particularly for those who have grown up in religion. God is the unhappy, white-bearded father figure who gets angry at us. Oh, how sad. How sad that for so many... When they think of God, that's the image that comes to mind. But what happens when we come to the Bible? What happens when we come to God's Word and allow the Word of God to inform our understanding of God, who He is and what He's like? What do we see? What do we see? What we're going to see this week and next, the Lord willing, is that the Son of Man, Jesus, came from heaven to be lifted up on the cross in this due to the Father's love. Oh, that is the good news. What does the Gospel teach us about God? He is faithful, He is kind, He is good, He is merciful, He is loving. Yes, He is just, but He punished His Son in our place. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, last week's passage and this week's passage must be read and studied together. I want to refer to last week as part 1, John 3, 1-8, and this week as part 2. So part 1, John 3 to 1-8, if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to that online. Part 1, John 3, 1-8, is the new birth. We defined that last week. I'm going to review that quickly this morning. But last week we looked at the new birth. Part 2, which is our passage for this week, John 3, 9 to 15, is the means. Everybody say the means. means. It is the means by which God sovereignly accomplishes and brings about the new birth. So again, last week we saw the new birth. This week, how God sovereignly both accomplishes and brings about the new birth. And the cross, the cross is both at the heart of the new birth and the cross is is the message that the Spirit of God uses to cause new birth. Amen? There is no new birth without the proclaiming of the cross, without the preaching of the gospel. Romans 1.16, what does Paul say? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Remember this, and I made this point last week, but it's really important that we hear it again. The kingdom of God is not something that we're born into, right? You can't say, well, hey, listen, my my parents are Christians. I came from a good Christian family. You know, I've grown up in church all my life. Surely I was born into God's kingdom. No, that's not the way it works. The kingdom of God is not something we're born into, but rather it's something that must be born into us. And this is the Spirit's work through the preaching of the cross. And as we saw last week, this is the Lord's doing. It's who's doing? Who does it? The Lord does it. The Lord is sovereign in salvation. I want to review what we talked about last week, the three Ps of the new birth. And I gave scriptural backing for each of these Ps. So we talked about the three Ps of the new birth. Last week we saw that the new birth is promised by God the Father. It's provided by God the Son, Jesus, and it's performed or applied by God the Holy Spirit. So the new birth is essentially triune in shape. The one true God who is Father, Son, and Spirit promises the new birth, provides the new birth, and performs or accomplishes the new birth. Who does it? The Lord does it. Amen? God does it. I'm going to come back to our story. Let's come back to Nicodemus. What do we learn? I have two points this morning, and we're going to move quickly. Number one, we have a more detailed diagnosis. What's a diagnosis, by the way? Typically a diagnosis, I, I can think of two environments or contexts where you receive a diagnosis, one being the doctor's office, another being the mechanic shop, right? They're telling you essentially what's wrong. What's wrong with you, your body, physically, or what's wrong with your vehicle? Neither one are fun. Both cost money, right? God in his word tells us what's wrong with us. What do you mean there's something wrong with me? I haven't done anything. Yes, you have. We all have. We've all sinned. And our diagnosis is not a good one. Okay, it's really not. And so what we're going to see, we've already seen Jesus gave us a diagnosis back in chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Right? He knows our hearts. Our trust is not trustworthy. He knows what's in a man, but we're going to get a more detailed diagnosis. It's like when you go to the mechanic and you know something's wrong with your vehicle, and like me, I don't know much about cars. I can do a tune-up. I can change brakes, things like that, and I'm like, oh, it's got to be a a brake problem. Well, Chris, actually, your head cracked, and uh, it's a lot more involved. It's going to be a lot more money than a simple brake job. Oh, man. So again, we're going to get a more detailed diagnosis. Are you ready? You sure? This is not for the faint of heart. Leave now if you want, but don't leave. The doors are locked. You have to stay. (laughs) Verses 9-12, to Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Talking about the, the new birth, what Jesus just described. What must happen for one to enter God's kingdom, to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus is saying, How can these things be? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. You don't understand. You don't receive our testimony. That's pretty bad. And in verse 12, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So, in these verses, if you were listening, Jesus provides a more in-depth diagnosis of Nicodemus's problem, And not just old Nick's problem, but who else's problem? Look around. It's our problem, apart from Christ. Remember what we learned, and I've already alluded to this. Again, it was a few weeks back. But remember what we learned in John 2, 23 to 25. And remember what we learned about ourselves. Jesus knows what's in a man. That, again, is disarming. What do you mean he knows what's in me? He knows my heart? Yeah, he does. He knows our heart, and our hearts are what? Untrustworthy. So the plot thickens, and things are worse than they originally appeared. What do you mean it's not just an easy break fix? It's more than that? It's more involved than that? I need a new engine? What? <laughs> and that's what we're going to see here. Things are worse than we originally thought. What we learn in John 3, 9-15 to is that mankind is depraved. Everybody say depraved. It's a theological word. Maybe you've heard it. We are depraved. What does that mean? We are spiritually dead and unable to save ourselves. If Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, didn't get it, what hope do we have? None without Christ. So Jesus continues to diagnose the sinful heart of man. And what does Jesus point out regarding Nicodemus? Three things. How many? you got to get this, folks. Listen. According to verse 10, Nicodemus lacks understanding. He lacks understanding. According to verse 11, Nicodemus refuses to receive Jesus' testimony. He lacks understanding. That's a big deal. And not only that, but he refuses He refuses to receive Jesus' testimony. And then here it is, verse 12. Wow, you ready for this? According to verse 12, he lacks faith. Oh, how important is faith? (laughs) Have you been listening to John's gospel? Faith is everything. Faith in Christ, and Nicodemus lacks it. He lacks understanding. He doesn't receive Jesus' testimony, and he lacks faith. But you know what? This is the normal and natural plight Of all mankind. Because of sin, we lack understanding regarding spiritual things. We refuse to receive Jesus' testimony and we lack faith. We need what? A new birth. We need to be born from above. We need to be born from above. This is the only hope for the spiritually dead. Again, at this point in the story, we learn that Nicodemus, he lacks understanding. He lacks faith. He's in need of new life, new birth, because he's spiritually dead. And, where did, and this is it. Where does Jesus take him next? D- Jesus doesn't simply diagnose the problem and say, hey, you know what? I can't do anything about it. Sorry, bro. Nick. Hey, good luck next time. You're in bad shape, bro. See you later. No, that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't leave him in that state. Where does he bring him? Where does Jesus point Nicodemus? He takes him to the cross. Were we listening to the text? He takes him where? He takes him to the cross. What hope is there for the spiritually dead? Where must we take those who are in need of new birth? We take them to the. We take them to the cross. What do we sing about this morning? We sing about the cross. In our passage, Jesus does something incredible. He connects the new birth to the cross. He connects the new birth to the what? To the cross. I'm going to say it one more time because I really want you to get this. Jesus connects the new birth, part one, John 3, 1 to 8, to the cross. cross. John 3, 9 to 15. Oh, he brings these two things together, which brings us to point number two the cross proclaimed. The cross proclaimed is the Lord's awesome means of bringing about the new birth. Amen. The cross proclaimed. Do you wish to see the spiritually dead brought to new life? Then we must be armed with what? We must be found preaching the what? The cross. The cross. Listen to verses 13 to 15. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Oh, this is great. We'll get there. And as Moses lifted up the serpent... In the wilderness and maybe you're new to christianity and the bible like what in the world is this referring to a snake lifted up in the we'll get there okay and as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be what lifted up that whoever believes in him may have what eternal life that is awesome do you wish to see the lost born again? What means does the Lord sovereignly use to grant new life to the spiritually dead? The gospel, the message of the cross. Remember Nicodemus' question in verse 9. How can these things be? These things referring to the new birth. And where does Jesus point him? He points him to the cross. Here's what we need to see, okay? This is it. The cross is the answer to two. How many? Two. Please follow me here. The cross is the answer to two big questions from our passage. First, what event, what action has secured the new birth? Forgiveness in new life. The cross. What event, what action has secured or purchased the new birth, which provides forgiveness in new life? What had to happen for us to have Forgiveness and new life, the, the cross. That's the first question. Second, by what means does the Lord sovereignly bring about the new birth in spiritually dead sinners? It's through the preaching of the cross. It's the same answer, essentially, right? So, what event secured or purchased the new birth, the cross? And then what has to be sovereignly proclaimed? What is the means by which the Spirit operates to give new life to the spiritually dead? It's the preaching of the the cross. The Lord's forgiveness providing, stony heart removing, new heart replacing, Spirit of God in feeling work is made possible by the cross. The new covenant declared, and I read this passage twice last week. The new covenant declared in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, promised new birth. You know, that was Jesus' point in Luke 22, verse 20, at the Lord's Supper, when he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was connecting, in that one verse... At that most important supper, Jesus was connecting the benefits and blessings of the new covenant to his cross, to his death. Furthermore, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit uses, it's incredible that the Spirit uses the message of the cross to breathe, to breathe life into the spiritually dead, thus giving us new life to believe and receive the benefits of Christ's saving work, forgiveness, and transformation. As uh, Sproul wrote years ago, the cross is the cure to our spiritual deadness. What is the cure to our spiritual deadness? It's the cross. Where are we called to take the lost, the spiritually dead, we take them to the cross. We take, And what do they see at the cross? Two things. They're going to see their helpless plight. They're going to see, oh, wow, this sin thing is serious. Because of my sin, Jesus died. But they're going to, at the exact same time, see the hope-filled message of the cross. Christ died. He died for sinners. There lies the hope. He died because I'm a sinner, right? So punishment was poured out because I've sinned. That's the bad news. I deserve that. The good news is someone took it in my place. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. You know, at conversion, a sweet miracle takes place. In fact, multiple miracles are being emphasized at conversion, when somebody is converted. First, the miracle of the cross and empty tomb are proclaimed. I mean, the gospel's a miracle, amen? Then, the miraculous work of the Spirit is applied through the preaching of the gospel to give new life to the spiritually dead. Huh! The one who is spiritually dead is made alive by the Spirit by being united to the living Jesus to believe the gospel message. That's a miracle. The Spirit unites us to the living Christ in whom the blessings of the new covenant are now accessible by faith and richly and generously provided and poured out. A new verdict Right? No longer guilty, but what? If we trust in Jesus, we are forgiven and new life and new power. John Piper in his book, Finally Alive, if you've not read it, it's fantastic. When I was teaching in Africa, John Piper's right-hand man came and delivered, um, I guess you'd call it the baccalaureate for the graduating students at the seminary. And this book had just came out, or it was about to come out, and he just brought boxes. He stoned them like Frisbees. I'm like, oh, I'll get to read this before anybody else. That was pretty cool. So, It's a great book, and we have how many copies left in the book nook? Two! We're going to see families just running out the back doors. Um, I'll admit this. This is a, a sin confession. When I was in grad school, I lived about an hour and a half from CBD, which was the Christian book distributor, And they would have a warehouse sale every quarter, and I would get there with friends on a cold Boston morning, about 5.30 in the morning, probably two hours before doors opened. And there might be an old grandma in front of me, but when those doors opened, I took no prisoners. I mean, I am just, it's like glory days are coming back, and I am just bulldozing people to get to those books. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that, but I did run. And if they said, slow down, I may not have heard them. John Piper, in his book, Finally Alive, writes, but in all seriousness, grab one of those books. It's great for unpacking this doctrine, the new birth regeneration. In his book, Finally Alive, he writes, what happens in the new birth is the supernatural creation of new spiritual life. And it is created through union with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit brings us into vital connection with Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the the life. That is the objective reality of what happens in the new birth. And from our side, the way we experience this is that faith in Jesus is awakened in our hearts. Spiritual life and faith in Jesus come into being together. You know, when an EMT arrives on the scene of a major accident, they're trained to look for vital signs, signs of life, right? Are you familiar with this? They're looking for signs of life. Now, if there are no vital signs, if they come upon the scene and someone is outside of their vehicle and there are no vital signs, that particular EMT may start doing CPR. If or when that person's heart starts to beat again, what happens? When life enters into that person, they begin to breathe. They breathe, right? Breath is a sign of what? It's a sign of life. When your babies are born, what do you want to see? Right away. Parents, why do they spank those little naked bottoms? They need to cry so they can start doing what? <gasps> breathing. Breathing. It's inevitable, right? When when CPR is performed and life enters back into that body, <gasps> they breathe. Breath is inevitable. It's the result of physical life. Listen, when the spiritually dead That's all of us before Christ. When the spiritually dead are made alive by the Spirit, uniting them to the living Savior, to the preaching of the gospel, what must happen? What happens when the spiritually dead are made alive? It's inevitable. What happens? (gasps) We breathe. And I liken this to faith. It's going to happen. Those who are made alive physically breathe. Those who are made alive spiritually believe. We believe it's what spiritual life results in. And those who believe enjoy the blessings and the benefits of faith in the living Savior, forgiveness, and new life. We are made alive to breathe in the message of the cross and breathe out faith in Christ. Now, Christians, what are we? We are essentially EMT workers armed with the message of the cross called to go out into the world to go to the spiritually dead, proclaiming the message of the cross, which the Spirit uses to give life to the dead. Amen? We got a job to do. Well, let's come back to Nicodemus. How does Jesus respond to Nicodemus' hopeless and helpless state? Again, what did we learn about Nick? Verses 10 and 11 and 12. He lacks understanding. He doesn't receive Jesus' testimony and he lacks faith. How does Jesus respond? Jesus reveals where he comes from, his identity, and his mission. Three things that Jesus points out in a breath Jesus came from heaven as the sent one, the Messiah, to die. But as we have previewed, and this is incredible. As we have previewed in verse 13, the one who descended, who came from heaven, would ascend back to heaven. He would be raised and he would ascend. Jesus is essentially giving Nicodemus the entire gospel message. What does it mean that Jesus is the son of man? You know, Mark, that's like his favorite title for Jesus. Fourteen times Jesus is described as the son of man. Now we're in John. It's also used in John. Where does that come from, son of man? Jesus is the son of man promised. Where? Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Have you read Daniel 7, 13 to 14? One like a son of man. Can I I just describe it for you? Most believed during the time of Jesus that this was an exalted messianic figure. They, They viewed it as a messianic text. This is the king. To come to rescue and rule over God's people. Well, the picture painted in Daniel seven thirteen to fourteen is of the coming King, the Messiah, being vindicated by the Father. He ascends to the Father in Majesty, and he's given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and tongues might serve him. It is an incredible passage. This fits so well with our passage in John three. Where Jesus says that whoever believes in him may have what? Eternal life. What do we see in Daniel 7, 13, 14 when it says that all nations and languages and peoples come and they serve him? Who is the message of the cross for? Is it it for one people group? No, it's for the world. It's for the nations. Amen? God's heart is for the nations. That's why we go and we're called to make disciples of all nations. And Jesus said that whoever believes may have eternal life. Jesus came for the world. But before he could be exalted, he would first have to do what? Before he was vindicated, what had, before he ascended, what had to happen? He had to die, for that's why he came. And those who believe, whether Jew or Gentile, are promised eternal life. So Jesus' mission was to give his Life and he compares his mission, the cross, to a well-known Old Testament story that I said I would come back to. Something about a snake being lifted up. What in the world? Jesus is here quoting from Numbers 21. Let me quickly read the passage. Jesus says in our passage, "And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up." There's a word there that I want to come back to. So must. Everybody say must. It's necessary. We'll come back to that. All right. Numbers 21, 49. we got time. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Well, this is natural and normal for Israel. We see this a lot. They became impatient. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why? Why? Have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord, here it is, the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it on a pole and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That's incredible. In Numbers 21 the Israelites are found speaking against God and his servant Moses. People complain, and they fail to trust the Lord again. And as a result of their sinful complaining, God sends fiery serpents among the people. Many died. But the people who remain cried out to the Lord for help. Moses pray for us. And what happens? The Lord graciously provides. He instructs Moses to make a bronze serpent and to set it on a pole. He then instructs those bitten to look at the bronze serpent. Why not silver? Why not gold? It's what God decided to do, and he's all wise, so I don't question him, right? This is what God and his providence and his sovereignty and his wisdom decided to do. And then what happens? What's the instruction? If they look at the bronze serpent, they will live. The Israelites are helpless in dying. They have rejected the Lord. Sound familiar? And to such an undeserving bunch, the Lord shows his grace. The bronze serpent represents his merciful salvation. Now, what's the difference between their situation and ours? We aren't just helpless in dying without Christ, but because of sin, we're helpless and dead. You understand? Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In the same way, like the bronze serpent, the Son of Man would be what? What's the language? Lifted up. And this, of course, is a foreshadowing of what? What does this point to when Jesus says that? What's he pointing to? To the cross. What message does he give Nicodemus? Nicodemus lacks understanding. He doesn't receive Jesus' testimony, and he lacks faith. And so where does Jesus point Nicodemus? Where does he take him? To To the cross. As God provided for Israel, so too he has provided for the world. Now, again, the word must is significant. It's from the Greek word day. It denotes necessity. The cross was absolutely necessary. There was no other way, nor is there any other name by which man might be saved. If you want to be saved, you've got to look to the cross. Amen? The cross was necessary for the curse of sin to be broken and dealt with. You know, Christ speaks of the inevitability of his demise. There was no plan B for rescuing sinners. This was God's promised plan fulfilled in Jesus. In order for sinners to be brought into God's eternal kingdom, the Son of Man had to be what? Lifted up on the cross And in order for us to benefit from his saving work, we must look to the Savior with eyes of faith. And this is seen in verse 15. That whoever believes in him may have what? Eternal life. Now what does it mean to believe? To believe. It means to trust. To trust. It's to trust in the Lord as Savior. It's believing, it's trusting that what he did through his perfect life His sacrificial death and His resurrection is sufficient to save us. It's like, again, I can come over here to this chair. I love chairs. I'm just going to sit down. I've used this with VBS with kids. Now, before I sat down, did I examine the chair? Did I look at the integrity of the chair? I trusted that it would hold me up. When we trust in Jesus for salvation, we are believing that what He did through His perfect life... Sacrificial death and glorious resurrection is enough to hold us up forever. He's sufficient. Amen? Amen? There's no one else and there's nothing else that can save us, only Jesus and what he did. And yes, you can use that illustration. And share it with your kids. Share it with your kids. The language of eternal life found in Christ brings to light the bad news being addressed by the good news. If eternal life is found in Christ, then eternal death, hell, Is the condition or plight of those who are outside of Christ. That's what's at stake here, right? That's why there should be such an urgency to go and preach the cross to the world because without Christ, where are they headed? Say it. You're not cussing in church. They're headed to hell. There's one more thing worth mentioning here. It concerns the phrase lifted up. It's actually one Greek word. It means to lift up or exalt A double meaning is intended here. Not only was Jesus literally lifted up on the cross, but the cross is to be seen as the place where Jesus is exalted and declared king. Amen? Amen. Jesus speaks of the cross with exaltation language, reminiscent of Isaiah 52, 13, which describes the Messiah. Listen, this is Isaiah 52, 13, written 700 years before Jesus came onto the scene. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. John wants us to see that Jesus is worthy and most glorious. John wants us to see that Jesus is worthy, that he is most glorious, which is most clearly seen at the cross. And what do we do, friends? What do we do when something is beautiful beyond compare? What do we do? We behold it, right? We look at it. Think of a sunset or a starry night sky or a mountainous background, a waterfall. We, we behold it in awe. John is saying, See how glorious Jesus is? He's the solution to our problem. You lack understanding, you lack faith, you haven't received Jesus' testimony. That's all of us, right? All of us are sinners. Where does Jesus point us? To the cross came to give his life for sinners. He is God's wonderful and gracious provision. Behold him and believe. Can I make a plea for one moment, please? Thank you, Dave. Gave me the head nod. Go for it. Okay. Please look at me and listen. In Philippians 2, 10 and 11, we learn that one day every knee will bow down. One day every tongue will confess. That's not hyperbole, okay? That's not an exaggeration. God is saying one day in his word, one day, there's coming a day when every single person is going to acknowledge Jesus as king. But for so many on that day, it's going to be too late. For so many. For millions on that day, it's going to be too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Behold the king now and believe in the king now for salvation and eternal life. You know, sin, oh, I hate sin. Sin, like the venom of a deadly snake, has worked through our veins and into our hearts, killing us spiritually. It's true. That's what sin does. We, like Israel in Numbers 21 and Nicodemus in John 3, are desperate. We are in desperate need of a cure. Jesus and his work on the cross is the cure. Look to Jesus for salvation. Only he can save. One more sprawl I love R.C. He says, looking to Jesus, and listen to how he ends this quote. Looking to Jesus would cure the problem of spiritual deadness wrought by sin, and it would do so for eternity. Now, again, you know, you take medicine today, you're going to get sick probably six months later, Right? Maybe you get migraines like me. You get old and your body starts to wear out. You can take ibuprofen. It may help for a little bit, but what happens? The pain comes back, the discomfort comes back. Looking to Jesus would cure the problem of spiritual deadness wrought by sin, and it would do so for how long? How long is this cure good for? <laughs> it's okay to laugh. That's joyful, right? Amen. For eternity. How should we respond to mankind's hopeless and helpless situation? We take them where? Where do we take them? Take them to the cross. Let me give you some application steps and then I'll pray. If you're not a believer, if you've not trusted in Jesus, behold the Savior. Look to him who was lifted up on the cross for sinners and believe. Trust in him. Just like the chair, right? Trust in him, in him alone, to hold you up, to meet your greatest need, which is what? Forgiveness of sin and a forever relationship with God. Jesus can do that. He's provided that through his life, death, and resurrection. Believe in him. Believe in him. Christians, this is for you. Christians, behold the Savior who was lifted up and exalted and worship him with your life in response to who he is and what he's done because he's worthy. Amen? Give him your life. If you love me, you'll what? Jesus says in John 14, 15. You'll obey my commands. Christians, if you wish, and I hope you do, if you wish to see the spiritually dead brought to new life, made alive by the Spirit, then go out proclaiming the what? The cross. The message of the cross is the means by which the Spirit of God works to bring about the new birth. Behold the Savior And believe in him. Next, obey him as king. And one way we do this is by proclaiming him to others so that others may be what? Made alive and brought into God's forever kingdom. Let me ask you this, friends. What happens when someone goes from shaking their fists at God in rebellion to then worshiping him with hands raised? When sinners are moved by God's grace from rebels to worshipers, who gets the glory? More worship means more glory to God. That should motivate our evangelism. Amen? Don't you want to see him worshipped more? So what should we do? Go proclaim the cross. God's gracious means whereby through the spirit he brings to life the spiritually dead. Let me circle back to our illustration that we used at the beginning from Time Magazine. How has your view of God been informed by the word of God this morning? He's gracious. He's merciful. And he's loving. Amen. Oh, this God sent his son to die for sinners. Don't you want to know this God? Don't you want to know him? And you can look to Jesus. And if you already know him, don't you want others to as well? We've talked about that. You have that friend that you just want everybody to know because they're so sweet and kind and encouraging. You can't wait to introduce others to them. Who's the friend that sticks closer than a brother? Christ. Bring them to Jesus. Point them to the cross. Church, proclaim the cross. Proclaim the cross. Proclaim the cross. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as a church set apart, Saved through trusting in Jesus. That we, as a church body, would leave this place armed with the message of the cross. That, Father, we would think about Monday differently. That we would go into our work week with a different attitude. That we'd go into our schools excited tomorrow. That we'd go into our neighborhoods ready to share the gospel. Ready to point people to the cross. And we ask, Holy Spirit, would you regenerate would you give new life to the spiritually dead as we proclaim that message of life and hope? And would you, God, call many to faith in Jesus for your glory and our joy? Father, help us as a church to believe the gospel and to proclaim the gospel for your worthy Jesus. And we ask these things in your name and all God's people said.